This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Amazon Cloud Cam. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I did an ad for Amazon Cloud Cam. And other than Jeff Bezos himself sent me an email asking to not talk about some of the images uh, that may or may not involve uh, ring pops and babysitters feeding them to babies like I did two weeks ago. So uh, Bezos, richest man on earth, I'm going to respect his wishes, so I won't talk about ring pops and babysitters and babies. The Amazon Cloud Cam allows you to stay connected 24-7. Catch activities as they happen in 1080p full HD. Watch, download, and share the last 24 hours of motion alert video clips for free. You certainly won't see a nanny feeding a push pop to a toddler. Night vision lets you detect what's happening around the clock, so you can see in the dark when the nanny turned off all the lights and the simple glow of a push pop going in your toddler's mouth illuminates the room. It works with Alexa. Just say, Alexa, please email the lawyers the footage of the nanny giving my freaking toddler a push pop. The cloud cam's intelligence lives in the cloud, so it's always getting smarter with more advanced alerts, detection, and features. Why don't you get smart and fire the dang nanny that's feeding push pops to your toddler? To get your Amazon cloud cam, go to boardwalkaudio.com slash cloud cam. If you're a nanny looking to feed a push pop to a toddler, look elsewhere than this podcast. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the supporter artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and we get a little kickback. Uh, before the episode, I want to quickly talk about some news in the comedy world. Funny or Die had pretty major layoffs last week, uh, kind of gutting their editorial staff. And the word on the street is that they're going to focus on television rather than digital comedy. This is after Cracked a few months ago, uh, laid off everyone in their video department. And if you've been listening to some recent episodes, like the Matt Kleiman one, or last week with Sam West, the death of digital comedy has definitely been a big topic of discussion, and this seems to be a major uh, move that way. And uh, that really sucks. You know, I wrote some videos for Cracked. Uh, and even back then, this was like a year ago. I wrote eight videos for them, and they ended up paying me for all eight, which is very nice, but they only made three of them uh, because they said they just didn't have the budget to make more. And, um, you know, uh, the money wasn't great at any of these places, even Funny or Die, but it, it was cool to write for places that some of my favorite writers did, like, started at, you know? And for all intents and purposes, that's probably gone, and that really sucks. But the day I heard about the layoffs, I... Went to a show at UCB, a sketch show. That was really funny. Uh, followed by another great show at Union Hall in Brooklyn. And it made me think, first of all, how much I love comedy. But also, that the work that's coming out of the internet right now, and has been coming out of the internet for the past, you know, 10 years, is going to find a place elsewhere. I saw it on stage, but there are, and there's going to be, more avenues for people to, to kind of watch comedy. Uh, and... It sucks right now for someone like me who's trying to figure out, you know, opportunities. And it's people like listening to this podcast probably. But those opportunities are going to come up, and they're going to come up in different ways, I think. 
and if not, let's all let's all try to get on SNL because uh, that show's never going to end. Uh, just I just wanted to say that before the episode. Uh, our guest this week is Anna Fabrega. She's such a funny comedian. And uh, a theme in this episode is that uh, it's really hard to describe comedy, especially unique comedy, and she fits that. Her stand-up characters are some of the best in the city. Uh, YouTuber, she's great. I'm a huge fan. She just wrote for the, the Chris Gethard Show, and now she's working on a pilot for HBO with Julio Torres and Fred Armisen. If you like this episode, check out our episode with Mitra Juhari, who's part of the same Brooklyn scene as Anna. So here is Anna Fabrega. <laughs> Anna, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? I was born in Chicago. I grew up in Arizona. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. What was it like growing up in uh, Arizona? It was very uh, normal. Yeah. <laughs> very sort of boring, you know? I didn't really do a whole lot other than go to school and I would play music when I wasn't in school. And that's about it. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do a whole lot. I was eager to leave. Oh, really? Yeah. What was um, like the music you played? Like what... I played drums first. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, I started playing drums. And then uh, when I was like 14, I got a keyboard and I started playing that. And then guitar and just like slowly acquired as many instruments as I could. And a lot of my friends were also, you know, into music. So we would just hang out and play music together. And that's really all I did. Yeah. How many instruments do you know how to play? Well, I've lost some of it because when I moved mm-hmm. here, I couldn't bring you know, anything other than my guitars and the keyboard with me. So the ones I still play are guitar and drums. But if I pick up a bass, I can, you know, play along to some, like, with people. But mm. I wouldn't say, like, I'm a great bassist. I've lost a lot of piano. Um, so I feel like drums and guitar are the only ones that I could confidently say, yes, I can play that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think, like, having, like, a musical start, like, affects your comedy at all? I I don't think so. Um, when I moved here, I thought I wanted to study music. I was self-taught, and I thought I'll learn how to play music, you know, in quotes, and I'll take music theory classes, and then when I started doing that, I didn't really like it, and I thought, I'll just keep this as a hobby, and um, didn't think about comedy at all until a year after I graduated college. Um, but I don't know if there's really any influence. I don't use music in my act ever really i have like a couple of bits that involve music but i wouldn't say it's a big part of it Mm -hmm. when did did you watch any comedy like growing up yeah um i am trying to think of things that were like really influential i remember when wonder shows came out loving that i loved wonder shows i think it was in seventh grade or maybe eighth Mm -hmm. grade and i haven't um, thought about wonder session forever it's so yeah yeah i think that was a big had a big influence on me. Um, I also really liked uh, Xavier, Renegade Angel. Oh, yeah, by the same... Yeah. yeah. Um, and I liked some of those other like adult swim shows, like this one. I want to say it was called like Two-Ton Mouse or something. Oh, like 12-Ounce Mouse? 12-Ounce Mouse, I never yeah. watched that, but... Yeah, yeah I, I, I was into that, and I liked... I mean, I liked like 30 Rock and, you know, some of those shows. You know, I'd watch SNL and stuff, but... Um, I would say, oh, and I liked Waiting for Guffin. I remember I was in middle school when I saw that, and that blew my mind because <laughs> I'd never seen like a mockumentary before. Oh, right. Um, so that, yeah, I liked that too. Uh, I just remembered this Adult Swim show called Assy McGee. 
I don't think I've seen that. It was a uh, a butt who was a detective. Wow, very creative name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't remember if it was good or not. I just remember I'd eat cereal and watch it a lot. Wow. Assy McGee. Assy well, McGee. I'm sure there are fans out there yeah. who will yeah, tweet, recognize Tweet it. at me if you're a fan of Assy McGee. <laughs> uh, that's cool. So uh, when were you doing like any, any performance and stuff growing up? Like um, comedy-wise? Kind of. Uh, my high school had an improv group of that had like six people that if you got on it, you were like grandfathered in. And I auditioned for it my junior year so <laughs> I, I like how you say grandfathered in yeah so, like so, you get to stay yeah, yeah. you don't have to try out again <laughs> so i did that but it was like short form improv it was like games right um yeah, but yeah. that was the first time i'd ever done like comedy performance and i really liked it and there was also a sketch group that ended up due to funding reasons uh getting cut my senior year so i did that my junior year too but i didn't th- i didn't have any aspirations for really performing when i got to college i checked out the improv team at my school and i didn't like it and i never met anyone there that i felt like Mm. i really connected with in that way so i never like sought it out i started going to um ask at ucb i think it was my junior year and i was like oh wow that seems fun maybe i'll try that so then i signed up for an improv class but that didn't feel like it was quite right either but then i didn't know what else to do so then like a year later i signed up for another one um, and it wasn't until I started going to see, uh, comedy shows around me when I was living in Williamsburg by that point. Um, and Joe Rumrell and Julio Torres hosted a show that, uh, used to be called, oh, what was it called? Fresh Perspectives. And that was the first time I saw like, lo- like comedy that wasn't my idea of what stand-up was because mm-hmm. I only knew like club comic type right, stuff. Right, right. And then I was like, oh, that's fun. I want to try to do that. And then that's how I like got into it. So uh, where'd you go to college? I went to Fordham University. Okay, cool. Yeah, here in the city. And what'd you, what'd you major in, like music stuff? Uh, no, I studied economics and business administration. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. <laughs> do, does that play any role in your comedy at all? No, not really. <laughs> I mean, I, I really, I liked it. Um, I think I knew the whole time that that wasn't what I like really wanted to do. But I thought, I like it enough, like, I'll just do this. But then it was, you know, my first year out of school when I was working, and I was like, I don't want to do this my whole life. Yeah. Um, then I was like, i got to try to do something else. And I need to do it now, otherwise it'll be harder to try it later, you know. Um, but I still, I like to read about it a lot. Most of what I read is, like, books about, like, finance or money oh, or things like that. So I like learning about it, yeah. but uh, it does not play into my comedy. People, I've gotten, like... I've had people ask me like, oh, w- "Would you have you ever thought about doing a show that's like educational, but it's funny and it's about economics?" And uh. like, no, <laughs> I don't. I don't have anything funny to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> that's so interesting. Cause that's, I mean, that's a lot of like that's like you know you did it in college and then you worked like a job. Yeah, that's like a lot of uh, time. Yeah, <laughs> invested yeah. in that. I know. I know. It's weird that. I don't know. It's kind of you. You would think that you'd have some like comedic perspective on that, which is interesting. Well, not really. I don't know. Huh. I feel like I'm very sort of compartmentalized in a way that, like, if mm. I'm at work or I'm doing something serious, like, I don't think about anything funny. I'm just very like, I don't know. I'm serious. I'm at work, you know. And then outside of that, then I can like, because I think in my day to day life, I'm pretty serious, mm-hmm. you know. It's because I'm not, I don't know, I, but I think I, I keep everything 
really separate in a way. Interesting. Uh, so you're working that job and you weren't happy with it. Were you, so what made you think like go th- for the comedy route? Well, I had always liked comedy and in college I started, um, posting videos online, like on YouTube and I had like a, a fake blog, like a character blog that I maintained for like, I don't know, a year and a half, two years. And I was like, this is really fun. I want to like, I wonder if I can try doing this live. And by that point, um, once I started going to shows, I, um, I had met Julio through a mutual friend and he had seen some of my videos and stuff. And he asked me one day at the show, like, do you ever perform live? And I was like, no, I just like make stuff and put it online. So do you want to try doing something live? You could do at our show. I said, okay, sure. And then once I did that, then I realized, oh, that I want to do that more. Oh, cool. But I I had been, like, doing stuff on my own, but then just posting it online without my name attached to it in case, like, I don't know, I was applying for jobs and stuff. Like, I don't want my oh, yeah. employers to, like, I don't know, find this. It'd be like, <laughs> this person's weird. We don't want to hire them. What what kind of, like, characters were you doing uh, for that? Um, it was, it was all kind of different. It's funny because I, when I watch them now, I still have them like on a hard drive and every now and then I'll be like, I'll, I don't know, it'll like come up somehow or like on Facebook when it does that like three years ago or five years ago today. Um, and I'll see them and I'm like, it's, it's funny because I understand how I got to where I am. Like my sense of humor now was like always kind of there. I was just like kind of figuring it out through those videos and stuff like that. Um, but there wasn't a consistent character really other than on the blog. And that was really just kind of like so it's a woman who it's kind of ambiguous, whether it's an adult or a child mm-hmm. and they're just, I mean, I don't know how else to say it other than they're dumb. They're just like a yeah. stupid person, like living their life and then like writing about it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting how hard it is to describe uh stuff (laughs) yeah (laughs) especially if you're not doing like ucb style stuff where like that's like inherent like you have to have like the game right so yeah it's just kind of hard to describe like i i saw uh, a show the other day and it was really funny and someone asked me like describes i couldn't describe anything (laughs) so interesting weird uh so when you started doing stand-up what was like what kind of were you like as fully formed as as your like persona is now um, not really. Well, when I, I thought I had to do, uh, stand up like what I had seen on TV, like on Comedy Central specials, which was like, you know, a lot of personal material or like narrative, like stories or whatever. So I, I, I started going to uh, open mics and I had like one line jokes that I thought were funny, but I thought I can't just say this. I have to write context around it because it has to be a little story because that's what stand up is. So then I would do that and i didn't think it was great and i was like oh i wish i didn't have to put all this stuff around it because there's just this line that i like and then um there was this open mic that lorelei ramirez used to host after her show um at a now defunct tandem bar and i thought i'm gonna try to just do the lines that i think are funny at this show and i did and then i realized i can just do that i don't need to be myself telling a story i can do whatever i want on stage Mm -hmm. And then from there, I was like, oh, you you know, it, it was very freeing. Like, anyone can do whatever they want on stage. It's, it doesn't have to be a certain way to be considered stand-up. Right. 
And was that kind of the moment where you were like, oh, okay, I can keep, I can pursue this. Yeah. This will keep yeah. Going. It was very freeing once I realized how open the medium was. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's so many people that I'm like, I don't, they're doing stand up. It's not what you would think to call stand up, but it's like solo comedic performance on stage. Right. I don't know. They're doing stand up. Well, then it's interesting because when does it become like theater from then? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I feel like there's people have like referred to me as like a performance artist. I'm like, I don't really see that. Um, and there are performance artists who do really well at comedy shows because what they're doing is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it depends. I wouldn't say I'm like, uh, I think p- people will put me on like the, the characters bucket. Say so, yeah, I do characters which is like is true for part of what I like to do, but um, then I do other just like bits that I'm like this isn't a character; it's right. just a bit that I'm gonna do. Like I'm gonna measure the stage when I get on, and like I don't know, just <laughs> do something stupid. But it's um, it's stand up. Would you find being kind of uh, doing your, like a unique thing that there was like uh, kind of mics that you couldn't go to or you go to and you just like, I get nothing out of this because these people are, don't really want to see this? Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to go to open mics a lot and then there were certain ones that I realized this crowd is like, no matter what I do here, it's not going to go well. Um, and so I would like kind of pick and choose the mics that I felt, okay, people that are a little more on the same page as me and are doing a little more non-traditional stuff are here. This is where I'll go. Um, but then eventually I just stopped going to mics in general. Uh, I don't really go that often now because I think it's more productive for me to work things out on my own in my room rather than oh, interesting. at an open mic because I, 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 I would rather try it out at a show. If I'm, if I do it at home and I'm happy with it, I'll try it at a show because I think it's different than going to an open mic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. um, but I mean, I, I think there's a lot of value in going to mics if you have like jokes you're trying to like perfect. But a lot of my stuff is just kind of like one-offs that I'm like, I'm probably never going to say that again. So I don't, what's the point of me going and doing it at this mic right now? Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends. Everyone's, you know, some people go to mics a lot and I totally get it. And, you know, sometimes I feel bad I don't go to mics, but then I'm like, well, I don't really, uh, I don't know. It doesn't suit me well sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of comedians, they start out, like, in an absurdist place, and then they eventually become, like, more personal as time goes on. Do you think that's going to happen for you, or...? Um, I mean, it happens in ways. Like, I think I used to only do things on stage that were very character-driven, and I think lately I feel like I just want to talk like this more, and so I've been doing that more, and I like it. Um, but I definitely feel like I reached a point and not just with stand up, but like with my writing too, where I'm like, I don't really care about doing this thing. I want to like do something that feels a little more like meaningful, I guess, Mm. or a little bit more, um, like, I don't know, not, not sincere, but that isn't just like, I'm gonna, you know, do a character now. Right. Cause that starts to feel really like boring to me. Mm Mm-hmm. So what I mean that kind of sounds like almost like you you're, you're thinking of like a narrative maybe of the thing. Well, it's not like a narrative. Like today, I was thinking I have to do a show tonight, and I'm moving apartments next week. So I've been like, it's like, do I want to talk about moving? But if I did, like, I would say I'm moving and blah blah blah, and that stuff would be real. But then anything else I add would probably be like a joke, right? You know, 
but I have found myself wanting to like say more like things that are actually happening in my life than I used to. Mm. What are your like? Would you ever want to do like a, a a special? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what exactly it would look like, and I don't mm-hmm. know if there's anywhere right now that would take something like what I did. I mean, I like when when the what is it like Netflix and Comedy Central take submissions for half hours like. I submitted one kind of knowing this is not going to work because I used uh, a PowerPoint for it mm-hmm. um, and because I like to do a lot of like visual stuff, like make Photoshop stuff and then like use that in my act. And so I put stuff like that in it and then did like crowd work, which like you, they don't like a right, crowd work yeah. bit and stuff and, you know, specials like that. And so I went into it knowing this isn't right for this, but like I'll try. Why not? Um, but yeah, I, I like doing longer sets when you can just relax and like, I don't know, really, I think, I think it's just easier to connect with the audience when you have more time and you can like show a wider range of material than you can in like eight mm-hmm. minutes. I was just thinking I, I would watch, I would definitely watch a PowerPoint a special from somebody. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I, I guess there are, there are some comics that you have like, you know, props who, I don't remember the name of the one that. The guy that has, uh, like, a canvas, and he'll, like, flip through it. Oh, Dimitri Martin? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dimitri Martin. I'm like, yeah, there's people like that who are, like, I don't know, get to do things that I think would be considered, like, alt right, on, like, yeah. very traditional platforms. Um, but, I mean, I even thought, like, I'm using images that are, like, maybe copyrighted, and I'm manipulating them, uh, and I don't know if that's a problem. Would there be, like, licensing issues with right. a special like that i don't know but also that not i don't need to worry about that right now so right, right, right. <laughs> netflix they just did 15 minute special yeah they right? did 15 minute ones too that's that's interesting yeah. i don't even know how there's that too would... much comedy i'm like well, who cares? there's definitely too much stand-up on netflix yeah i don't understand where this demand or perceived demand is coming from yeah i'm like i don't i don't watch all those specials is yeah. somebody Who's really watching all of those? Well, and then it's like they're out, and then two weeks later there's a new one, so you yeah. feel like you've missed it. Yeah. Even like uh, the Chappelle one, it was like very controversial and yeah. very big. I still haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. Yeah. So I was like, another special? He just did one. Yeah, he just, yeah. yeah, he really did just do one. Yeah. And he did two, right? He did two last time, two this time. Yeah. That's too much Chappelle. And there's just too much yeah. stand-up. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm like waiting for it to fade out and i saw like a couple weeks ago amazon was like not going to pick up any of those comedy pilots that they had put out and stuff like that that i was like oh is this a sign that people realize not everything has to be comedy or maybe it's just they see that like the dramas are making all the money so they like you know because comedies never get really like recognized the same way that dramas Mm -hmm. do you know like the oscars are never gonna have like a comedy win best picture or like Like, tiffany who almost got nominated Yeah. yeah um but I don't know. Uh, a lot of comedy out there. <laughs> yeah. And it's weird, too, because now, uh, I mean, Funnier Die, they just had those layoffs. I mean, mm-hmm. weird time. Yeah. Weird time for comedy. Yeah. There's a lot, and then there's now there's just, like very few places yeah. you can get Yeah, there's like paid. a little boom and bust. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so uh, you mentioned doing characters. How do, how do you come up with the, your characters? Like, what's your process for that? Um, it depends. There are some that, like, I have the idea for, like, the person in mind, and then I try to figure out the dialogue, and somewhere it's backwards, or have, like, dialogue that I like, and I try to figure out who's saying this. Um, but sometimes it's, like, just me in my room, and I'll, like, think of something, and I'm like, oh, I think that's 
funny and then I'll try saying it different ways until mm. I kind of fall into it. Um, or sometimes it's just like I have this one bit that the whole thing just leads up to a pun essentially about aircraft carriers. Okay. And the whole thing leading up to it, like I wound up there not like ex- knowing that that would develop into like a two minute monologue. I just had like, this one joke and then I was like, oh, aircraft, I, you know, like families like that are the military families move around a bunch. Mm-hmm. It's like a character like that who's talking about moving in the military and stuff like that um, as a kid. But then ultimately like says that they wish uh, they were an aircraft carrier. Like if they're strong enough, they'd like, <laughs> love to do it yeah. to carry the aircraft. I mean, it's just like a, a silly pun that, um, yeah, I like didn't expect it to go that way. So I don't know. I don't really have like a, a set way of, of writing ever. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like, uh, like uh, part of what you do is like you're in your room and just kind of trying things out. And Yeah, it's very personal and solitary. Like yeah. I don't like if my roommates are home, I'm not going to be working stuff out because I don't want anyone to hear me when I work stuff out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it is usually just like being alone and having a mirror and being able to like look at myself and, you know, expressions and then you know maybe figure out okay who's who would make that face or who would mm-hmm. move like that and, and you did uh just for laughs this year yeah what, what's like that process like of, of like auditioning and then getting on and you so what i realized is um they have like open submissions really but if you don't have reps they're probably not gonna watch your tape and if you have reps chances are you don't need to submit a tape if they want you, they'll like push you along, and then they'll decide. Okay, we'll have a, la- a a round of live auditions. I don't know if I'm like spoiling it, and people are gonna be like, "What?" But I remember re- <laughs> once I realized that I was like, "Oh, so they don't care if you don't have reps." I mean, they have like the unrepped category, which I think might be a little different, but it's largely just like your reps will submit you if you want to be submitted, and then they'll pick people for a round of live auditions, and then they'll do another round of live auditions. And then from that, they'll pick the final, like, oh, you know, cool. 12 or however many it is. Um, but I had submitted last year, and I did one round of live auditions. And I had submitted a tape as well. But this year, I don't think I submitted a tape. I don't know if they've seen you before, if they kind of were like, okay, we already know enough about you to decide if we want you to try out again. Um, but it's a pretty small group of people that select who moves forward from the just for laughs organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was f- funny because I didn't expect to get picked for it just because a lot, like they're st- they tell you, you know, we want you to have a blackout in between characters and a lot of people like, I don't like blackouts. And so I was like, well, I have to like use a blackout. My, some of my characters are a sentence long. We're going to have like a strobe light going if we do a blackout. <laughs> So I, I like found that happy medium of like, okay, I'll do two longer characters that can have a blackout and then just give me the remaining like five minutes to do a bunch of short characters with no blackout. And they were like fine with it. Um, but yeah, it was, it's funny because it's something that I think when I, before I like knew how things like worked better, I thought like, wow, if you get that, that's like the best you're set uh-huh. and then i realized oh that's not true it's not like <laughs> that at all and if you never do it you're totally fine and just because you did it doesn't mean anything else will come from it 
how do you how do you choose material for like uh, a, like a big gig like that? Well, for that one, I knew I can only do my stuff that was like characters. So any bits I had that were me talking in my normal voice, I was like, I can't do any of those. I wanted to show a lot of range and make sure I wasn't doing anything that was like characters that were too similar. So I would like pick the jokes I liked the best. Had like the longer monologues that I did in the beginning, I like kept those up top so I could show like, look here, I'm doing the structure you want me to do, and then let me do my other ones the way I want and like break things up. Like anything that's longer, I like. So I have a lot of short things, and so anything that's long, I try to put like spaced out so that it's not just like a bunch of short things and then two longer ones. So it's like short, short, long, short, short, long. You know, just mm-hmm. to like pace it out. Um, and then moving things around that might feel a little too similar in terms of like delivery. Um, but I did like work hard on like picking that set and organizing it the mm-hmm. way I did. And uh, you mentioned that uh, it, w- it wasn't as like, uh, I guess, important as you expected. Well, I mean, it is and it's not. It's It's a great show to do because there's a lot of industry there. And I did get a, like... I did meet a lot of people and a lot of people saw me that like, I don't know if they would have seen me otherwise because they're in LA or something like that. Um, so it is great for that, but it's also something that like, if you get all of these, if you meet all these people, but then you don't have anything to offer, meaning like a script or something like that, then like it doesn't really do you much good. It's kind of like go and have like your, your work ready that you want to send these people. If you meet them, you know, Otherwise, it's like, yeah, I can set up a general meeting with someone, but if I don't have anything I'm trying to sell, then it's like, okay, nice to meet you. Bye. Right, you know? Yeah. So it's it's good, but it's like, also, you don't need it, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. I thought, if you don't get that, then it's, then like, you're not going to have a career. But then they realized, no, that's not true. Mm-hmm. But it is good. I mean, it sounds like I'm shitting on it, but I'm, I'm not. I think it's good. I think it's a great opportunity. Um, but also if you don't get it, it's totally not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I guess that's more what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when did you get involved with like the annoyance and stuff? Um, so when their theater, well, before their theater opened up, a handful of guys that had been performing there in Chicago had moved here, like John Reynolds and Gary Richardson. And so I had met them at shows before they moved, um, but well, before like the whole like theater came because they came like in small waves there was like a couple came and then some time passed and then it's like all of them decided let's go and so they all left but um when the theater opened like i knew you know a couple people and so i they would ask me to do a show there or whatever and um eventually i started doing their house shows because like they had an improv show that was like a jam that west haney organized that had stand-ups and then improvisers and like storytellers or whatever she's like a mix of performers as a jam yeah oh, which really was cool. really fun yeah. and i was like oh i don't know if i do improv and so i would like you know when Wes would ask me to do it i was nervous because i was like i don't do it i don't know i don't maybe i'm bad at this but then i realized like oh i i can do this and a bunch of other stand-ups i think also felt like that um and then when they got a house team they would like, do you want to do improv on the house team I'm like, oh sure so so I started doing that, and they had a sketch show called Holy Fuck that I would go to a lot, and I, you know, would do shows with the people that ran it, and eventually they asked me if I wanted to be on that too. So I, like, got sort of slowly uh, swept in um, because they were very, you know, 
welcoming to like other comics that were here and not just like it's our Chicago gang in New York right, and that's right. it. Can you explain what what the holy fuck comedy hour is? Because it's kind of like a it's a sketch show, kind of. And like, yeah, yeah, well, so when the theater closed um, in March of last year, that show has since evolved into. Um, I think now they're calling it yard sale, and they do it at Union Hall and at the Footlight in Ridgewood, and. It's a sketch show. Well, it's, it's so different now because at the when it was at the Annoyance, there was a back room that had a bunch of props and costumes and wigs and things like that. And so people would show up with like a loose idea for a sketch or maybe like a really tight idea for a sketch and just be like, okay, can you, you and you help me with my bit? Here's what it is. You'll play this person. You be this person and you be that. Here's the gist of it. And then you just like improvise it. Like, you know, the beats, but then you improvise the rest and maybe it goes that way and maybe it turns into something else. But it was like a sketch an improvised sketch show, I guess is what I would call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and people would, you know, use whatever props and wigs and stuff were in the back. And so everyone always looked kind of crazy. Um, and it was really fun. And now that it's moved, it's like not really props. It's that same concept though of like, here's my bit. Can you, you and you help me with it? This is the gist of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's very loose. Yeah. Do you remember any, any bits that you did from that time that you like? Um, hmm, what bits did I like? I did, there were so many things that happened at that show that I think, you know, everyone would be like, oh, that was so stupid, but it was so fun and like, you don't care. Um, I'm trying to think if any of them developed into something like, I don't know. I feel like I, I always like playing, um, a child mm-hmm. to someone or someone like there is, hmm. I remember one bit where I was at a bank and I was just kind of an annoying person in line at the bank and then the bank gets robbed and I'm like very chatty and the bank robbers like, (laughs) you know, are just annoyed by me. Um, It sounds so stupid to say it. Like, I feel like all of that show, it's like if you just tell someone this was the bit, it's like, okay, that, yeah. And then at the end, you know, this happens okay i don't know but i think most of what i did there was stuff that i was like this will live and die here tonight right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh the show I mean, earlier i said i was at a show and I, it was i was at yard sale and oh, i was trying cool. to describe one of those bits yeah. and it was like I, this isn't really yeah, yeah. it doesn't translate <laughs> yeah um so uh when the theater closed how did that like affect uh the like scene i guess Well, it was the only theater in Williamsburg, like proper comedy theater. Um, There's like, there's no comedy theater in in Williamsburg. And um, there were a lot of shows that were there that were like stand-up shows and, you know, uh, holy fuck and uh, improv shows and stuff like that, that suddenly had to like find a new home. And so everything really scattered. And there's a bunch of shows now in like, Ridgewood and kind of like around the Williamsburg Bushwick border and everything just had to like find a new home. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think I missed the most about it was if I went to a show there, I knew I'm going to see a bunch of friends and like a bunch of people I know are going to be there. And if you have a show there that night, you're probably going to hang out there all night. Um, but now that's not really the case because it's not like, oh, I'm doing this show now and then next is my friend's show and like my other friends will be here. So I'll just hang out. So that's. Um, I feel like I don't see people as much as I used to because now it's like if you're not on the same show and you don't like you're not just going to run into each other. You have to like plan to see everyone. Whereas right. before you just knew you were going to see everyone. Mm-hmm. 
and the Brooklyn scene is so different from like the rest of the city. Like there, I mean, like UCB and stuff. Like, uh, I don't know. Why do you think that is? Is it just like the annoyance and whatnot? Well, I don't think it's necessarily because of the annoyance. The thing that was, that made the annoyance, I think work really well was that there were already a group of people doing shows on their own terms and doing like stuff kind of, you know, that didn't fit into what was happening at like UCB or at a comedy club. And then when the annoyance came, it was like, well, now here's a theater where you can all do it at the same place. So shows moved there. It like just stuff that was already happen happening here, just like coalesced at the annoyance. So I think like with or without the annoyance, there was still like a really great comedy scene and there still is a great comedy scene without it. It was just a, like an, a hub, I mm-hmm. think, at the time. And I think everything that's happened, or, like all the venues or the shows or things like that, people that have found their footing performing in Brooklyn is just because there's not really places to do that in Manhattan. Like there aren't that many bar shows in Manhattan, but there's a bunch of bars in Brooklyn with a back room that'll say, sure, you can do a show here. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of like a uh, partially like a real estate issue and then also just like people feeling like they didn't want to go to the places that were already established in manhattan uh yeah right <laughs> i don't know why i said it like that yeah <laughs> right uh and you worked on uh these zines uh called the truth about pangea how, yeah. how did that happen um so i had uh like a few months after i started doing stand-up I went to a show at uh, BHQFU, which was a school that was uh, like a free art school that was literally like a block and a half from UCB East. It's now closed, but there was an open mic that night that my friend who was taking classes at the school was like, oh, there's an open mic. You should come and like do the mic. So I went and I did the mic and uh, the guy that was organizing it, his name's Sean Carney. um, After the show, he was like, I really like your stuff. I have like a small publishing like thing like I if you ever want to publish anything let me know and so then I was like oh yeah that'd be fun so I started putting together like a bunch of old writing I had and like pictures and stuff like that that I'd made and then like sent it to him and he like you know printed it out (laughs) (laughs) and then the second one like I made that first one in I want to say it was 2015 and then um Two years later, I was like, oh, I kind of want to make another one. And Sean was like, yeah, let's make another one. So then um, I organized a bunch of stuff. And um, Claire Morocha, who's his girlfriend, helps like lay out everything now. So she helped lay out all this stuff that I would have probably just thrown in there in whatever order. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and it was just like more new writing. And I had Photoshop now at that time when I first made that. Uh, when I made the first Truth About Pangea, I didn't. Um, or I had maybe just gone and so I didn't really know how to use it. Um, and so now with the second one, it's like, oh, I can like put in like much better images and, you know, I think I've developed my voice better than I did in that first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a, a little, I don't know, 60 page comedy scene. Yeah. Yeah. What, what kind of, uh, bits were you like creating for this? Um, so, well, some of it was... But I didn't make specifically for mm-hmm. that zine. It was just like, I have all this writing, be it like stand-up jokes that I think work well on paper or photos or things that... Had, like, I, I put some stuff in there that was like this project I was doing with my uh, friend Aaron Schwartz, who's a really great writer and um, like has a great 
eye for like I don't know, a really good critic and so mm-hmm. i would make a fake piece of art and she would review it and sure. so we started doing these like art reviews for a few months and so i really liked those and i was like i don't want that to just be something that lived on my instagram i want to print it out too so i could put some of those in there and it was just a collection of like stuff i had written and i put new stuff in there too and just like new pictures and things that i wanted to not just have sat on my instagram from like two years ago and uh, you mentioned earlier that it, you said it was uh, your voice changed. I was not changed. I, mean, I think sorry. so much like developed. Developed, like, yeah. Yeah. Like there, are, when I look back at that first zine, I'm like, I read certain things, and I'm like, I I would never do that now because I mm. like I think it's funny, but I don't think it's like a well in like I it's not a joke. It's just a a line that I think is funny, which is I mean, there's a lot of stuff I like that's not a joke. That's just a line that is funny. But I think I didn't understand really what was worth putting in print versus doing live that now I think I have a better understanding of. Um, so, like, I think there is uh, more, like, I think there are stronger jokes in the second one than there are in the first one. And what is that barometer for what to do live and what to do in print? Um, it depends. I mean, there's some stuff that works well for both, um, but some that is only funny because of the way it's delivered live. So it doesn't really work in print. Mm-hmm. And then stuff that's the opposite that is only funny if you see it written because maybe something is like in bold or something's italicized or it's like the way that the words are laid out is like a joke in and of itself that it just doesn't work mm-hmm. live. Mm-hmm. And how would you um, decide like the order of the bits? For the zine? Yeah. It depended. A lot of it just came down to real estate on the page like Mm. how like the the first one was structured where the beginning of it was a fake facebook profile for a character um that i never did live i just made for that zine so the first i don't know like third of the book is that and then the second part is drawings um that i asked friends of mine who are illustrators like i would it was like a reverse new yorker cartoon where i was like here's text can you draw something for this text Mm. interpret it however you want so the second section was that and then the third section was just a bunch of random like lines and images um lines isn't like text and images but this other like now the next one also had the thing with the illustrators and it also had um you know a bunch of random one-line things or whatever but it didn't feel like it needed to be broken up the same way as the first one um and so it's just kind of like a free-for-all and which i kind of like because then you you never really know what's coming next and it doesn't matter someone can pick it up and open it up to whatever page and like it's like very self-contained in that way where like you know um what it's like an anthology Mm. in every page it's like yeah you can just pick that up and the order doesn't really matter unless things felt too similar. We'd move them apart. But it was also like, how can we fit all this? Because we like it would have probably been longer if I could have um, if we could have printed it better. He's like, if you go over 70 pages, it's not going to close. And uh-huh. like because we're doing like staple binding, he's like, it's going to it's going to be bad. So let's keep it under. So then it was just like, how can I cram all of this in? Mm. And a lot of that was Claire laying it out in like in design and seeing how can we fit the most in here. Would you ever want to do something that's more uh, narrative in a zine? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, there, there are. I'm trying to remember if in 
either of those zines I put short stories. I might have. I do mm-hmm. like to write little short stories, and I'll do them live sometimes, but they're, like, short as in I'll, I can read it in under a minute, mm. you know? So, but I've, I've never tried writing a long narrative piece. Any narrative stuff like that, I turn into a script. Mm. Uh, and you're now working on the Chris Gethard show. Well, not anymore. Oh, well, you were before. Yeah. I was, yeah, yeah. I worked there for a season, last season. <laughs> um, and technically, when they start up again, it'll still be the same season, but they had like a break. Mm-hmm. But I have a scheduling conflict that would take me out of there for three weeks mm-hmm. if they took me back. And they're, you know, just, and I knew that would kind of happen. So I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was, I was there for a bit. <laughs> how'd, how'd you get that job? Um, I had known Chris, we've done shows together and like, um, he had asked me, um, once I remember I went to go see, uh, career suicide and we were talking afterwards and he was like, would you want to write on my show? I said, yeah. And then a little bit later I got like a packet to write and submit. And, um, so I submitted a packet and stuff, but I'm, I think knowing Chris definitely helped and we, you know. He thought I was funny, and I thought he was funny, and I liked what he was doing, and it just worked out. What was the packet like? Um, oh, let me think. It was like ideas for episodes, character ideas, and I think the third part might have been like whatever you want. Oh, that's I don't cool. know. But I remember it was a very open-ended packet compared to most packets that are like, I mean, any late-night talk show packet is like, Monologue jokes, right. desk bits, and like whatever. But this was a lot more open ended. Mm-hmm. Was it was it kind of strange to join a show that's been like going on in some way for like a decade? Yeah, almost? no, I, it it was because I knew the Chris Gethard show and I had seen it, but I hadn't seen all of it. I hadn't been following it from the beginning, and the people that. I mean, a lot of the people that watch that show have been following it since public access and they know it really well. So there was a lot of like, you know, they would reference old episodes and I was like, I don't know what that was. Or reference characters and I'm like, I don't know what that was. Um, So it did feel like I was walking into this thing that was already very well established. But everyone was so like welcoming that it it never felt like alienating. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, oh, I feel left out here. I was like, oh, they're going to let me join them, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And this was your your first TV job, so first what, writing job, first, yeah. So what was that uh, transition like to doing that? Um, it was good. I mean, because I had been working at my old job until two years ago. I think it was two years ago in twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen. I don't know. But after I left that job, um, I was making money, like doing like little things, like random acting gigs or like writing but um nothing like full-time it was just like oh here's like a a script and i'm gonna shop around and like get like a little pilot and then i'll just move forward it's like a web thing and Mm -hmm. you know just little stuff like that and i've been doing that for a year and i was like getting by fine um but then when you know i got an offer for a full-time job i was like well first of all i haven't worked in an office since i graduated college because for the two years that i worked there um, after I started doing comedy, I was working from home. So wow. I hadn't been going to an office. I hadn't like, I was still working like eight thirty to five thirty, but I was doing it from home and it was a little more flexible. And so then to go back to, you know, be in an office, commute to midtown, like all that. And oh. the hours can be a little unpredictable. Like some nights I would be there 
till 6.30, and sometimes I'd be there till 9 o'clock, and you just never really knew. Um, but it was a, a good transition. I realized that I really enjoyed the structure of a day job and going somewhere and having, like, set hours that you're doing something and, you know, it was, it was good in that way. But then again, now that I'm not doing that, it's nice to have the day to do, you know, work on other stuff or run errands or do things yeah. that, that if you have to go to an office, it's harder to do. And, and what's like an average week at the Gethard show? Um, so it depends where in the season you're in. Like when, when the show started, when we were in pre-production, it was just pitch ideas. Let's pitch episode ideas. Let's pitch ideas for like bits for like this character or let's pitch video ideas that'll be like for the internet and you know all over the place and then once the show started and we started figuring out you know what the season would look like and which would change a lot as we went along but at the beginning of the week once we knew okay this is the episode this week there would be two or three writers assigned to head it that week and so they would be in charge of writing a script for it because there's a script even though it's like a improvised really like the dialogue but the script is there so that the camera guy and the, you know, stage director knows what's going to happen. But it's really just like dummy dialogue that's like, okay, we'll do this bit. Here's some dialogue, like for a phone call. We don't know what's going to mm. happen on the phone call. Um, but during the week, it would be just like the writers, you know, asking the other writers for bits. Like, oh, can you guys submit like 10 ideas each for like this particular thing? And then they would pick which ones. And um, it was, you know, talking with other departments and meeting with the art department and saying, yeah, we want this prop to look like this. And, you know, a lot of like meetings and then just like pitching ideas. And then if you're in charge of hitting the episode, then putting the script together. Mm. And then there would be uh, rehearsals on Wednesdays. We would do like a loose rehearsal. And then the day of the show, like earlier that evening, we'd do like a full on like dress rehearsal. And then the show starts and maybe it goes the way we thought it would. And maybe it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you've mostly written for yourself before. So what was it like writing for someone else? Um, it was it was interesting because, like, especially since that show already had such well-established characters, there were some that I was like, I'm not good at writing in this voice. Like, certain people were, like, very good at writing for Vacation Jason. And I was like, I'm not good at writing for <laughs> Vacation Jason, and I know that. So, like, I, you know, am not... Like, I won't be used for that, really, because we all know I'm, that's not my strong <laughs> suit. Um, but, yeah, it was it was easy. I feel like I felt the most comfortable pitching, like, bits or episode ideas. But when it came to, like, writing for a certain character, it was like, okay, this is a little bit harder. But at the same time, it was also, like, those people are ultimately going to be the ones that decide what they say. We can pitch some ideas and right. kind of like, you know, get the get the gears going. But um, it was also like, I know that, um, you know, Riley's going to say the perfect thing for Vacation Jason because he knows that character better than all of us. Uh, and, and the video came out. There's a video uh, of like the bit where you're pitching ideas. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was really funny. But also it seemed like that could be true. Like that, like, situation. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's the thing that was, like, funny is that when we were in pre-production, I pitched so many things that once the show started, we and we all realized what the show would be like, that I was like, oh, none of this works. None of these ideas I had work for this show because it's a different show. We can't do any of this. Yeah. 
And there were, I mean, there were a lot of things I pitched that were, you know, felt like that in that video where they'd be like, what? Like, no, yeah, that's the joke. And we could think it's funny, but we all knew, like, it doesn't work on the show. Like, because just tonally, it's just so different. Um, but they, they were very supportive. <laughs> so when you're, like, on, on a show, when you're, when you're in that situation, do you, I mean, I, I guess you chose to keep pitching and keep going. But would you ever think, like, maybe I shouldn't pitch this idea because it's, like, it's definitely going to get shot down? Or... Well, no, because even stuff that I knew this won't work, I was like, I'm going to pitch it. Right, I don't yeah. know. Everyone would. It was very, like, I don't think anyone there, it's such, like, a, a laid-back environment and very, like, non-threatening that you're not scared to pitch something that mm-hmm. will, like, flop, you know? Mm-hmm. So, it was, yeah, no, no fear of, like, pitching something bad because everyone pitched bad stuff. Right. <laughs> Uh, do you have any favorite bits from the show? Um, hmm, favorite bits. There's so much. Um, I always, I mean, I always liked Vacation Jason. Anytime Vacation Jason was there, it was like, okay, we know this bit will work well. Um, let me see. I have, I'm sorry to say this, I have a terrible memory. (laughs) And as I like jog through, I'm like, okay, what episodes did we do? Um, a favorite bit. I liked when Conor O'Malley uh, came on as the Beast Masturbator, <laughs> um, which was a little bit, it was like good and bad because he did things that were uh, standard and practices or like no good. So uh-huh. we were like, oh, are they going to like bleep out the show? We said like brand names, you're not supposed to say brand names, like things like that that were like, you know, a little nerve wracking. Um, there was, hmm, there were some bits, there were a lot of times that I was just like, worried for uh chris's safety you know (laughs) and um that there was one episode where adam pally was on and they were exercising the entire time oh right yeah and then at the end chris is like dunked in ice water and it was like on this rigging machine that these like gymnast people had to come to like set up and they would just like dunk him in an ice bucket and I was like, oh my gosh, is this going to be... It's, it's freezing in the studio. It's so cold right. in there. It's probably like 55 degrees, 60 degrees. And then he's in ice water and he's freezing and he's been exercising for an hour. <laughs> this is like, you know, I don't know. But there, but that was like the stuff that was also fun was like, okay, no, you will never see Jimmy Fallon do something like that. Like you just don't... Right. Like it's so safe on the other shows and uh, it was just... Yeah, fun to be like, well, this is stupid and maybe it won't work, but like, whatever, let's try it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're now working on a on a pilot with uh, Fred Armisen and Julio Torres. Mm-hmm. How how did that happen? Um, so he, Fred had this idea for a show, and he was shopping it around and didn't really have it fully developed. And then once HBO said they were interested in it, then he asked Julio and I to help him like write it and like develop it. Um, but Julio had met Fred through SNL and I had met Fred through like, um, like Portlandia. Cause I was being considered to write for the show. Like, a, I don't know, maybe two years ago now. Um, and I ended up not getting the job, but then he like saw my zine. Like I submitted my zine instead of a packet. Mm. Um, or I sent that and then a sketch I wrote. And then, like, since then, we had been in touch, and he'd helped me, like, try to shop some things around, and we shot some stuff together, and 
uh, we did some shows together. And so um, he, I mean, it was also, you know, a Hispanic uh, mm-hmm. show in Mexico City. So Julio and I kind of fit the bill for like, okay, we all have a similar sense of humor or like are on the same page comedically and we speak Spanish and we can, you know, <laughs> do this. Um, yeah. And then we met over the summer for like a week and a half and talked about it and figured out what the pilot would look like and what these characters are and, you know, did the whole, whole thing. And, and then we're shooting it in March. Wow. Yeah. And you three are also starring in it, right? Yeah. What, what's like that? How has that affected the writing process? Um, well, it's made it very easy for certain characters. Like Fred knew, like his character, like he knows what he's going to do. Yeah. So writing it is like so easy because it's Fred. And then my character, I know her very well. So it's very easy for me to write for her. And Julio's character is like a very Julio character, very much in his voice. And I think the thing that we ran into was the other characters, since we don't, the other two main characters, we don't know who they are. And it's been harder to like find something for them mm. um and i think now that we've found the people that are going to play them um it will make writing easier but it definitely was like you know you read the script and i think those three characters voices come out so clearly mm. and the others we were like hmm there's something missing here and i think it's because we don't we don't know them well enough because it wasn't as easy as it was to write our parts um but we've since like fixed it and i think now it's like clear very everyone's character is like on as well developed and everything um but yeah it was it made writing our parts very easy mm-hmm. <laughs> uh what's it like working with like the network on it um it's good they've i mean they give great notes mm-hmm. i i really enjoyed all their feedback um i think sometimes it's like you get notes that you're like no but anytime we'd have like notes calls with them with they would, you know, if they would email notes or whatever, I always thought, oh, yeah, that's a good, that would make this better. Let's, let's do that. Um, and anything that we haven't seen eye to eye on, they've ultimately said, okay, well, we trust you. If you want to do that, do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's been good. It's just long, you know, these things take so long. It'll be a year by the time we shoot it. And we'll have been a year between when we started developing it and then once we finally shot it. Um, but, yeah, it's been good. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, what do you want to be doing next? Is working on this show? <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully. I, I hope it gets picked up. Um, mm-hmm. If it doesn't, I have a script that I wrote last year, a short that was like, too long to be a short. It's like a 30-page script. And I wanted it to be like just one self-contained story. I didn't want to make it a whole show. Um, and so I haven't really known what to do with it. And then over this break, since I finished Chris's show and stuff, um, I've been developing it into a feature. So I want to oh. do something with that, hopefully. Um, I think regardless of what happens with the show, because we'll have a while before we find out if they want to pick it up or not, that I want to have this script done and like try to shop it around. Because um, I, would, I would really like to make it. But yeah, I feel, especially not having a job and being home every day, I feel like antsy and like I need to write something. I need to have something to show for my downtime. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, I'm just, I want to be working on something, <laughs> whether yeah. it's someone else's show or my show or whatever, just be busy. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So we're going to wrap up with you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea I have. Great. Uh, okay. So this is, um, members of a cult being more focused on the taste of the Kool-Aid 
than like on the actual cult stuff. So they're like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're starting a race war, but is it like fruit punch or lemon lime? Stuff like that. That's the sketch idea. That's the sketch idea. You know, um, it's a, it could be a good bit. Mm-hmm. Could be a good joke. Um, is there someone that's trying to keep them on track? Is the cult leader there? Yeah, yeah that's what I was thinking. Like, guys, cool it with the with the Kool Aid. Yeah, know, the the impending race war or whatever that yeah, they're yeah, trying yeah. to do. Um, I think it could work. I will say, I, and mm-hmm. I'm very biased. I don't like cult humor. Okay. I don't think cults are funny. It's like not, I think it's been so played out yeah. that I'm like, okay, that's, I mean, it could be anything. I mean, it could be like that, that joke could be put in so many different situations right. of like, I don't know, maybe it's like, a, I mean, this is stupid, but like the president and it's like an office, like a very serious government meeting and they're more focused on like the, the nuts on the table or, you know, whatever. Right, it's yeah. a joke that can find a, a setting wherever. Um, but not not a bad bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cult, <laughs> cult is pretty played out. It's really played out. I, I got. Saw... I think I just I got it as a, as a suggestion for like a bit like mm-hmm. cults, like the word cult. Yeah, people love cults. Yeah. I don't. I think it's so played out at this point. Yeah, but no, it's a tr- it's a very easy bit to move somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Anything you want to plug? Um, I I'll plug up my monthly show. I host a monthly show the first Sunday of every month at Star Bar in. Brooklyn off the Jefferson L. The next one is on Sunday, February 4th at 8 p.m. And it's always a, a good time. I, I, I hope people come. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Boardwalk Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow on Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week. Boardwalk Audio Podcast. For more information and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.